encounters with Jesus. We are going to do this all through December. Originally, I was going to stop and do a Christmas series separate, but we'll see Jesus Christ, baby Jesus uh, in the encounters. And then on Christmas Day, we'll end with perhaps what I call the first encounter with the shepherds. But uh, this morning, we are going to uh, read about Peter being restored by Christ. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, please turn to John 21, and we're going to read verses 15 through 25. Uh, it'll be on the screen, and there are Bibles underneath your chair or in front of you if you'd like to follow along. John 21, verse 15 through 25. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep, lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testified to the events and has recorded them here. And we know that this account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray again. God, thank you for your word. Thank you again for this opportunity to come and worship you through your word, through music, through fellowship, and through community, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you and we praise you, Lord. We do pray for the other churches that worship you and have worshiped you this morning and yesterday, this weekend, Lord. We pray for their service. Thank you that we are part of your kingdom, Lord. And Lord, as we continue on in our series of encounters, will you help us be mindful of the encounters that we experience every day with you? Not just the big and grand ones, but the fact that you woke us up this morning. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Pray that you use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. Prepare our hearts for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So I'm going to bring it up again because I'm supposed to, because I want to. Uh, you have cards in front of you. These are for you. You can share and write down an encounter that you have with Jesus. You can go online, renewmodesto.com, and fill out um, your encounters. Thank you for those who have sent in encounters. Thank you for those who sent in several, and just let us know if we can share them. Uh, this morning, later on this morning, we will have 
uh, Hayden Key share his encounter. So we're excited for that. But really, again, these encounters are for you, not for me, but yet to bless the body and just to see what God is doing. And again, just as I was reconsidering this, this whole series, I was just thinking about how it's so easy, and I even said in my prayer, I, I, I found it leaked out, um, that our encounter is not just when we accepted Christ, however long ago it was, but every day that we have an encounter with Christ. So as we continue on in our series, I just want to take a moment uh, just to reflect on our series so far and the encounters that we've discussed in the Bible. We've seen how Jesus was able to restore the vision of a blind man. We saw how he was able to care for a woman from the outside, the woman at the well. We saw Jesus explain to the rich young ruler why it was important for him to give up his idols, his wealth, and he didn't. We also saw the encounter of Jesus healing two daughters, Jairus' daughter and the woman with the bleeding issue. We watched Jesus in his encounter as he made friends with a notorious tax collector, Zacchaeus. We watched the encounter as he challenged Nicodemus and all of his religiousness. We watched the encounter with Jesus as he dealt with the centurion and saw that the centurion indeed had great faith to heal his servant. We saw Jesus have several encounters with the Pharisees to be challenged with our own Pharisaic identity that sometimes we just think we're better than we are. A couple of weeks ago, we watched Jesus have an encounter with a demon-possessed man and totally heal this man and yet watch a whole community have the same encounter but reject Christ and ask him to leave. Then last week, we saw the encounter with the 10 people who had leprosy and only one who came back to recognize him as Lord, not just healer. And today, we've just read an encounter with Jesus that in many ways... I think can really be the most challenging for us to accept, especially those of you who are followers of Christ. Not because we don't believe in this story, but because it can be challenging for us to believe that an encounter like this is possible for us, for restoration after failure, for restoration after failure, after you've been a Christian and you think you know better. Restoration after you promise you wouldn't. I super duper promise I won't do that, Jesus, and you super duper do it. At least it is for me, thinking that I know better because I do, but yet I don't. So perhaps for some of you, this encounter, this restoration by Christ may be a challenge to you. I know it has been for me. And I know I quickly read through the list of encounters we have gone through so far, and in some ways it may be easier, easier for us to let Jesus heal us. It, maybe it's almost easier to believe that he would heal us if we were physically blind, either supernatural touch or by way of doctors and medicine, than restore us after we've been a follower of a Christ and denied him three times. Or perhaps we can feel like the outsider, like the woman at the well, with all of our sin before we've known Christ, or the lady with the bleeding issue, and the list goes on and on. Or accept the fact that Jesus can have all these encounters with all of these people, and we read it, and we've had people come up and share, but perhaps maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't know my story. 
Or perhaps for some, you're challenged with accepting that Jesus can really deal with our religiousness or idolatry or nature to be like a Pharisee. Maybe he can handle that. But perhaps the encounter that is most difficult, most challenging for us who are believers is believing we can be restored well after we are a follower of Jesus and we just blow it again. And after perhaps like Peter, having spent the last three years under intense discipleship and relationship with Christ, finds himself back to his old way of life in the fishing boat. Did you notice that? We'll get to that in a moment. We didn't read all of John 21, but if you go back and read John 21, you'll find that the disciples go back to their old way. And for Peter and those who live by the Sea of Galilee, they went back to fishing. There's nothing wrong with fishing, just ask Keith. So. But going back to your old way, just because you think, you know what, Jesus, I, I followed you for this long, and, and have you ever found yourself saying, it's not you, Jesus, it's me? I believe you, Jesus, but I've seen me. Well, this, this is a story for you. It's a story for me, for sure. And just finding that Peter has spent three years, just over three years, again, with that intense Bible study, if you will, that intense discipleship, intense relationship, and here he is. And what happened is a familiar story, but I'm going to revisit what took place. Why did Jesus need to restore him in the first place? And usually the story, and we'll cover it in a moment, but usually the story is saved for a Good Friday and Easter, and yet here we are in December, and it's Advent, and we are preparing for Christ to come as a baby in a manger. And yet now we're talking about denial, and it seems to be all mixed up, but nothing is more truer than seeing Christ being born to eventually die for our sins to restore us, not just when we come to accept him as Lord and Savior, but in the process of him working and sanctifying us. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, I should have known better, well, join the club. So did Peter, like his guy. So what we're going to take a look at is we're going to see what did Peter actually do, his denial. We'll see how he denied him three times. We'll see how he super promised he wouldn't do it even if the others would. And then we'll see how he felt that he was better and he swore he would never do it. So he denies him three times. And when I consider this, and we'll read from Matthew 26, uh, specifically verse 73 and 75, but I'll just give you a paraphrase just in case you need a reminder. But 2,000 years ago, we read of Peter, Jesus' guy, denying, denying Jesus three times 2,000 years ago. And I think it's important to recognize that he denied Jesus three times, not one time. Because one time, if we're reading this as we are now, we would say, oh, I could see that. That was an accident. If someone catches me off guard, then maybe. But three times, if you do something three times, you really mean it. It's really who you are. So as we consider Matthew 26, I'll just give you a synopsis of what was going. This is when Jesus is now arrested. He's on the cross now. And Peter was sitting outside of the courtyard, and there's a servant girl who came up to him and heard him that, and said, hey, you're, you're one of those Jesus followers, and he denies it in front of everyone. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Then later, outside of the gate, as he leaves from that, he just can't stand anymore. He goes and walks to the gate, Peter does, and another servant girl notices him and says to those around him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, and he says with an oath, I don't even know that man. And then we'll pick up in Matthew 26, verse 73 through 75, and it says a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that even you knew me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Luke's account says on the third time that he denied him, right when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked over at him. Oh, <laughs> oh. have you ever been caught? Right there? It's like that, but worse. And if you're sitting here this morning, and perhaps you're on the other side of considering what this looks like, if you think, well, I would never be like a Peter. I'm not even bold. I would never do that. I appreciate what Bruce Wolke wrote. Bruce Wolke is a, was an English professor of theolo- uh, theology, and uh, he also was a pastor, and he wrote this. He, he said, if you, if you want to measure your righteousness, consider this. If you want to understand righteousness, righteousness are those who disadvantages themselves to advantage others. Whereas wickedness are those who disadvantage others to advantage themselves. Righteousness are those who disadvantage themselves to advantage others. And he would go on to say, all the time. Like I like being kind when it's convenient. When I have time, when I make time. But wickedness, and he's referring to Jeremiah 19.7 about the hearts being, your heart is wicked. But wickedness are those who disadvantage others to advantage themselves. And it's not necessarily cheating. It's just a step ahead. So what Jesus is doing here, as he's sitting here, back to John 21, as, as he just fed them breakfast, which is a wonderful story of The rest of John 21, this is when the disciples are out on the boat and they're fishing, and then all of a sudden Jesus is on the shore, and he said, you caught anything? No, you know, the whole nets and fish and bring it in, and they're like, oh, Jesus, and then they come in, they're like, is it really Jesus? And they're really unsure, and and then Jesus says, hey, bring some of your fish, but the interesting thing is, is he already has a charcoal fire, remember charcoal fire, cooking fish for them, he feeds them breakfast. And then what he does is he pulls Peter aside, but in front of everyone, and asks these questions. And what Jesus is doing is making Peter painfully retrace his steps from a few days ago. Slowly, not rushing. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm caught, whenever I confess sin, whenever I'm in a bad way, whenever I have to apologize, I just want to kind of hurry it up. Yep, I blew it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Let's move on. And I see it in my children. Say sorry to your brother. Sorry. What? Sorry. I didn't hear you. I am sorry. You know, it's just, 
Do you really mean it? Yeah, okay, whatever. What do I have to do? I even remember as a kid, whenever I told my mom, just make me quick. She said, do you know what you did? It doesn't matter. Just get it over with and give me one extra one for what I'm going to do later. Like, just hurry up and get it over. But you see, Jesus takes his time with Peter not to rush it. Restoration cannot be rushed. As much as we want it to, even when we're trying to help other people restore a relationship or restore a situation, whatever it is, we just kind of want to rush through it. I think for a couple of reasons. One, it's painful to go through the process of remembering what you did. Second, it's painful to be part of the restoration process because that means you have to invest more time than you really want to. But Jesus is never in a hurry. And he's taking his time, and he's going through it, and he wants Peter to painfully retrace, retrace his steps so that way he can fully, in each step that he failed Jesus, be restored. Not just this overarching, I forgive you. It's not as Jesus is saying, it's fine, just leave it. Just, just we're good. He wants to fully restore I know I've mentioned this before, but right before, about three weeks before we moved, we, Natalie and the kids and I, moved to Modesto, about three weeks before, at our last Christmas party, down south at a church, I dislocated my knee cleaning up in the most ridiculous way. I wish I could tell you that it was in an intense playoff hockey game and I was the hero of the story, and it wasn't at all. I was moving a table and I saw a basketball roll in the gym and I went to go pick it up and shoot it and someone ran by and just clipped me and my knee dislocated and I couldn't get my knee back in place and it hurt. And then the first thing I thought was a lot of things, but one of the things I thought was, Natalie's going to have to pack the whole house for us all by herself, which she would do anyways, but whatever. But, you know, when I was laying there, and then, and then one of the, the guys that was, uh, on the, uh, that was there for the event, it was a doctor, and he went and grabbed my leg, and then all of a sudden it popped back in place, and I, oh, what great relief. Actually, what I wanted was no one to touch me. Just leave it. Just cut it off. Like, I don't leave it alone. But, you know, if I would have left it dislocated, it, it would have been out of place. It would have been a reminder and I think that's how we treat sin sometimes. We just, I'm forgiven, saved by grace, let's move on. But Jesus doesn't want to just simply forgive your sin. He wants to restore you from that old sin. So why is this even a bigger deal than Jesus, than Peter denying Jesus just three times? Let's, let's, pick up, let's, go for, let's go back from Matthew 26 before Peter actually denies him. Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35 this happens right after the Last Supper. Right after the Last Supper, on their way out to go pray, this is where the story takes place. Matthew 26, verse 31. It says, on the way Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's from Zechariah 13, 7. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Check. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And knowing Peter, 
and seeing how he acts, I imagine he says that even if all these losers here, because you know them, right? When they fail you, I will not. In verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. What do you mean desert me? You're going to act like you don't even know me. Verse 35, no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. In my opinion, all the other disciples were sitting there saying, yeah, us too. Jesus, even if all these other guys do it, I won't do it. I'm your guy. And about four hours later, he's not his guy. So let's see what Jesus does to restore Simon Peter. Let's just go back to John 21 and let's look at the first few verses there, 15 through 17. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice that Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. He doesn't call him Peter anymore. He calls him Simon. Well, Peter's going back to his old things. So it's as if Jesus is calling him an old thing. But really what Jesus is doing is restarting the relationship right off the bat. Just the same way that Jesus had restored him, or excuse me, called on to him to follow him and change his name, he's starting back at the very beginning. Again, going back, no cheap grace here, as Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls it. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's start again. Let's learn how to put our socks and shoes on and tie them. Let's start over. But also the word love here, English does a poor job with this word love. We have one word, I, I was talking to Nick about this on Thursday, I think, um, about love and how we just say love. Like, I love my wife, Natalie. I don't know, she's not here, she's with the kids, but I love my wife, but I also love tacos. And I also love Jesus. Now, do all these loves equal tacos? No, but we love them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and read verses 15 through 17. But what I'm going to use is is the words in the Greek and what they mean. There's really only two words. Agape is the love, the universal word used by God's love, his unfailing love. And then phile or phile. That love, that's where we get the word Philadelphia from, brotherly love. It means brotherly love. So let me reread this to you and use those words of love to perhaps get a fuller picture of this conversation instead of just the word love. And it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me the way that I love you, that your Savior loves me more than these? Do you love me the way that I love you more than these? And Jesus is probably pointing to all of the disciples that are sitting there, plus probably pointing at his boat and pointing at his nets and saying, you remember whenever you said, even if these bums don't leave you, do you love me? And then 
Peter replies, and this is important. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you like a brother. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Do you love me the way that I love you? Do you love me with Christ's love? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you like a brother. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother? You know, the first two times he says, do you love me the way that I love you? And then Peter says, you know I love you like a brother. You know I love you like a brother. Then Jesus says, okay, do you love me like a brother? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you like a brother. Then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, what Jesus is doing here is... He's, he's starting where he should love, where Peter should love Christ. And he asked him twice. And Peter keeps saying, you know, I love you like a brother. Peter's recognizing this is as best as I can love you, Lord. And then, Peter, and then God says, do you love me like a brother? Is that really the love that you love me? And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Because what, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing here is Peter denied Christ by a fire three times. He's restoring him by a fire three times. He's walking through the whole process. He's calling him his old name. He's taking him, essentially what he's doing is he's taking the last three years of their relationship and walking through it. Because Peter, in Peter's mind, and I think really in our mind, we love God as best as we can. And what Christ is asking us to do is love Christ as best as he can. That means surrendering. That means And I'm not saying don't try. I'm simply saying surrender. And that's what Christ is really doing. So if anyone in here is sitting in here thinking, well, you don't know what I did, God does. And the restoration story is he will take you all the way through your life as he's walked with you to show you it's about me, not your performance. So as he's walking through, then also he says three different things to do for Peter to do. Do you love me? And he says, then feed my lambs. Then he says, take care of my sheep. Then he says, feed my sheep. There are three distinct different things. First of all, to call anyone a lamb or a sheep, it's not very nice now, but it was really insulting back in, during this time because sheep are dumb. Like, I don't, have you seen them? <laughs> First he says, feed my lambs. Lambs are the baby sheep. So he's saying, take care, feed with the word that I will give you, feed the new ones. Feed the new people who are coming to Christ. Because newsflash, Jesus, there's going to be a lot of followers of Christ, and they're going to be new to faith. Feed them. Second, take care of my sheep. The sheep are the older ones. Take care of them. Don't just feed them. Take care of them. Care for them. Love them. Because Peter, for a long time, it's been all about you and me and how much you were going to serve me. You want to serve me? Serve my people. And then the third time he says, then feed my sheep. Not only care for them, but feed them the word. And that's the role of the shepherd. The shepherd's role was everything, to take care of the sheep. But also, since sheep are so incredibly dumb, they will eat anything that's poisonous too. So the shepherd's job is to walk along 
when he's feeding them out in the pasture, and the pasture is not these green pastures that we have here. It's on the side of a rocky cliff with little greens here and there. And within those greens, there's poisonous bushes. So the shepherd had to be right there and say, get out of here, dumb sheep. Don't eat that or you'll die. Isn't that what Christ does to us? Hey, don't eat that. You'll die. Don't be a dumb-dumb. So what God is doing is Christ is taking Peter along through his whole life. He's reassuring him and then also reinstating him to serve the people, to serve his people. Because Peter, you said you were going to do all these things in your own strength, but now what I want you to do is do it in my strength. Jesus didn't simply just forgive him. He didn't just simply say, all right, Peter, you know, I'm an all-loving God, and since I'm all-loving, I forgive you, no big deal. It didn't cost anything. I'll just overlook it, sweep it under the rug. No, Jesus forgives him completely, but at a cost. Forgiveness always costs. It costs Christ everything. And here's the good news. Jesus was willing to do it. If he simply, Jesus simply overlooked the sin, the problem, without it costing anything, it would be, again, as Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls it, cheap grace. The cost of the discipleship is the book that he writes, and, and he describes how, how can a church uh, afford cheap grace, and you can't. God doesn't just simply forgive just to forgive. It costs something. And really, later on, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 7, and I'll just read verse 10 to you, just a snapshot uh, in the first few verses of 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I know that my last letter was really hard. I know it hurt your feelings. That wasn't my intention to hurt your feelings. My intention was to guide you and to restore you. And he says, it's because it's so important for repentance. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He said, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret from that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. He's saying, I want you to have the sorrow that God wants, which is repentance. So you notice here that the whole time in this conversation, Peter never says, yeah, but you don't understand. He doesn't make excuses. You know, whenever you catch your kids doing something and they make all kinds of excuses, you're like, well, that's a doozy. He's sitting there the whole time, and he's answering Jesus' questions. He's allowing Jesus to probe him and carry him and walk him through it for the sake of repentance. And just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, the world's kind of sorrow just simply leads to death. It's the whole situation that if you only feel bad when you get caught, then you're not really sorrowful and you're not really repentant. Repentance means that not only do you ask for forgiveness, that you feel bad for what you've done, that you are choosing to walk away from it. You don't want to do that anymore. Now, there can be a cycle, and there's different sins that you deal with. But what Paul is saying, which Peter is experiencing, is the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. And also, by the way, Peter, that's what I want you to do to my people. I had a friend, uh, we were in high school, and um, when you're in high school, sometimes you do dumb things, and he thought that uh, it was cool to ride a moped uh, without a helmet, 
and he hit a rock and he slid on his face. And it was the top five ugliest, nastiest things I've ever seen, me and my friends. You know, whenever you see something, you're just like, did that really happen? And we looked at him and he got up and he looked like Two-Face from Batman. I was, it was awful. It was so, you get it. Anyways, he, ambulance came and got him and then went, and we went to go visit him in the hospital and he scraped the right side of his face. But when my friend and I went to go visit him, he wouldn't show the right side of his face. They hadn't bandaged it yet. They put whatever it was and it was still, yeah. and he wouldn't let us see that side of the face he was so ashamed of what he did. He was so ashamed of what he looked like. He was so ashamed that he didn't wear his helmet like he knew he should. He was just so ashamed of it. And then my other friend said, why are you so ashamed? Why are you looking away from us? We were there. We saw the whole thing happen. I know what it looks like. That's essentially what Christ is saying to us. I was there. I saw the whole thing. You did not wear your helmet. But I think a lot of times we almost act as if God didn't see our sin and we're afraid that whenever he comes into the room, into the hospital room, he'll be, oh, look at you. But he's already seen it. And that's the beautiful thing about restoration with Christ is he, he's seen it and he loves you and he's willing to restore you back to it. And in Peter's case, not only restore him as a follower of Christ, but as a leader of men. Last thing as you consider this and then we'll walk through the rest is, is if, you're, if you're wrestling with the sin and the impact that it has on your life, you know those times, and I know I mentioned this before, but you know those times when you wake up in the middle of the night or you wake up way early or you can't go to sleep and you're just thinking about some dumb thing you did 20 years ago? It can't only be me. And you're laying there and you're like, oh, and like you feel it again. Like you relive it and you're like, oh. And then hopefully you get to the point where you say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. You know what I've noticed more and more is when that happens to me, I usually wake up thinking about how that sin impacted me less than how it impacted God. I usually sit there and think, man, that was so dumb. That made me look dumb or I was whatever it was. Very rarely do I start off by saying, man, God, I am so sorry I did that to you. But yet what God is doing, what he's reminding us is, look, I'm going to call you by your old name and I'm going to walk you all the way through this restoration process and to be a leader. And as we just considered the last couple of things of what Jesus tells Peter, we'll read that. Verse 18, after he says, then feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God then Jesus told him, follow me. Let's work backwards. Jesus says, follow me. It's the first thing that Jesus told Peter to do, follow me. He told Peter to follow me even before you understand what's going on. And now that Peter's understanding, he still continues to say, follow me. 
but he also is telling him that you are going to die. You are going to be crucified. Tradition, it doesn't have in the Bible, but tradition says that about 25 years-ish from this point, Peter will be crucified. And when he's put on the cross, he says, I'm not worthy to die the way that Christ died. Hang me upside down. So he's actually crucified upside down. Now, at first, you think, oh, that's awful. Why would Jesus tell him that you, how you're going to die? You know, the survey says 87% or 92%, whichever survey, people do not want to know when and how they're going to die. They just want to die. And here, Jesus says, and by the way, Peter, you're going to be crucified. Yay. But what I really appreciate about Jesus telling Peter the way in which he is going to die and to bring God glory, it's not the fact that Peter finds out he is going to die in such a hard, awful way. It's the fact that God tells him, you have failed me before in the worst situation, but in the future, you're going to glorify me when you have a chance to get out. That's so powerful. Jesus is also telling him, in the past, when you promised me that you would never make that mistake, that you will never deny me or forsake me or any of that, and that you would be my guy even if all the other disciples were lame. You said you would do it. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that in the future you will do it. But not by your strength, but by mine. And not your promise, but my promise. So it sounds like a downer, but yet what Jesus is saying is saying, Peter, there's going to be a time when you can deny me, but you won't. And Peter needed to know that the next time he was in a life or death situation, he would be strong and obedient and he would not cower away from a girl by a fire as he had done in the past. So then in very Peter classic form in verse 20, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, which is John, the author of this gospel, the one who leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? How's he going to die? Like, that sounds gruesome, but what about him? Is it going to be good? I mean, that's what he's asking, but what about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Remember, Jesus, what I asked you to do in verse 19, what I asked you to do in John 3, follow me, follow me. He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then verse 24, this disciple is the one who testified to these things. Or excuse me, going back up, verse 22. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor, <laughs> there's always a rumor, spread among the community of believers that the disciples, this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return. So, so Peter's restored, he's feeling good, and then he says, well, what about that guy? The issue of comparison is dangerous in the body of Christ. That's why Paul has to write about it, about the different body parts and being jealous, don't do it. But it's exactly what Jesus tells Peter. What is it to you? As for you, follow me. 
It's like in the C.S. Lewis's great series with Aslan, and Aslan says, I only tell you what I'm going to do to you, not to everyone else. So this morning, if you are struggling with where you are with your walk with Christ, and if you're sitting here thinking, I thought my relationship with Christ would have been a lot further along, or a lot deeper, or a lot whatever, Jesus desires to have an encounter with you. Not when you accept him as your Lord and Savior, whenever that may have been, but right now, and all the time. And even if you've blown it, and even if you swore you would never do it, and even if you promised or said, I curse myself if I let you down, Jesus, and then cursed to say, Jesus, I don't even know that guy. Jesus desires to have an encounter with you, not just, again, when you accepted him, but right now. And he doesn't offer this cheap grace where it doesn't cost him anything or you anything. He offers full forgiveness, which means it costs the full price, which was Christ's life. As one theologian puts it, He's operating on us. He continually operates on us, not simply so we would feel sorry, but to remove all the yuckiness and junk from our lives. Hold still and let him do it. So as we consider this, I would like to invite Hayden Key to come and share his encounter with Christ so we can clap to welcome him. I'm glad you were coming because I didn't see you in the lobby. Good morning. Um, For those of you who might not know me, I am Hayden. Uh, My wife, Ashley, uh, takes care of like the website, social media, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, We've got five kids that run all over the place, and we help uh, teach in the elementary class. Uh, So when Dallas started asking people to come up and volunteer a long time ago now, I I uh, felt Lord nudging at me to step up and come say something, and I ignored it and rationalized that there's lots of other people that had better things to say, um, and if I didn't say anything, it wouldn't really matter. Um, so, um, but week after week, I kept feeling kind of Lord pushing me to come up and talk, and one evening... I just felt the Lord say, what are you so worried about? Do you not trust me? So under the light of that conviction, I decided to tell Dallas that I was open to coming up and sharing. Uh, And shortly after that, I realized I had no idea what I was going to talk about. Um, So uh, it wasn't that I couldn't think of anything offhand. I did have encounters with Jesus, but none of them felt like what uh, he wanted me to share. Uh, I had one written out, planned, I thought it was pretty good, and uh, the Lord said, no, that's not what you're going to talk about. Um, so as I continued to, uh, to think about what I was going to, to share, and I do have one, I'm not just stalling, <laughs> Ashley should have pulled the fire alarm by now, um, but I wanted it to be the most impactful one, right, the biggest thing. Uh, the thing that was going to reach the most people or provoke the most thought. Uh, and that's honestly kind of how I am in my daily life a lot, is I want to um, 
overthink things, theorize about everything, and come up with the greatest way to share Jesus with others. And I'm often crippled by my own desire to do it perfectly, and I wind up just saying nothing. Uh, I can't share Jesus with this person. They're older than me, smarter than me, uh, they're more successful than me, the list can go on and on. Um, and to be honest, it's my own pride and desire not to be looked down on that prevents me from uh, sharing Jesus boldly with everyone that's around me. Uh, and so recently at work, and I'm surrounded by a tremendous amount of agnostics, uh, antagonistic atheists, not a whole lot of safe areas to, to share the Lord. Uh, which is kind of where you should be doing it to begin with anyways. Um, and I was talking with a coworker, and he kind of made an offhanded remark as we were walking about how we were side by side, and uh, Jesus would have had women walk uh, behind us. Uh, well, here you are. Here's an opportunity to correct something, to share, to speak Jesus to somebody. Um, and so I just started talking with him and explaining uh, Jesus' actual uh, perspective on women, how he really treated them, how uh, Jesus approached the class system of the first century world. And um, to be honest, I don't remember every detail of our conversation. I don't remember everything that I said or every uh, question that he followed up with. Um, but I do remember by the end of it, uh, his comment, and I'm quoting him, was that J-Dog was pretty cool. Uh, so um, choosing not to address the flippancy at that moment in time, I, I just agreed with him that, yeah, Jesus is really cool. And I did not convert him. I didn't convert anybody that was around me. All I did was talk with him. I planted a seed, and uh, it wasn't big and flashy but Jesus was there. Uh, Jesus saw a man who needed him, who was misinformed, but open and receptive to hearing the truth. And a lot of times we have encounters with Jesus that are personal, that are encouraging to us, that are uh, uplifting. Um, and then there are times when Jesus just comes to us and says, go do this work for me, and I'll make something out of it. Uh, and that's uh, what happened to me earlier last week. That's it. Thank you, Hayden. So as we close here this morning, just consider, I don't know where you are with your walk with Christ, and I've been talking to you who are followers of Christ, and if you need to be restored, he is willing, he is faithful, and he is able. And if anyone in here does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and has not had that first encounter, that grace and mercy that he showed Peter, he showed me, is offered to you. So anytime in the service, I'd like to pray with you about that. I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to worship, and then we'll close the service. Let's pray, God. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come and worship you, and thank you for the encounter that um, Hayden experienced as 
as uh, not only the encounter was with him, but with his coworker. And thank you for the reminder that it doesn't have to be big and flashy or a great result has to come, but the encounter could just lead to being faithful, faithful to the prompting of your spirit. Lord, and thank you for Peter and the way that you loved him so well, even before he did anything for you, and how he tried so hard to serve you and, and in his own strength and to be the hero of the story, and yet how when you took him on that shore after breakfast and you re- restored him in front of everyone and put him back in a position to serve you, that it was because of you. And when you asked him if he loved you in the way that you love and you challenged him to that, you challenged us this morning, we only love you because you first loved us. We're reminded in First John of that. So Lord, as we continue to sing more songs, will you help us deal with anything that's in our heart and Please remind us, Lord, that you are here, you're available, you want to redeem us and restore us, even if we should know better, even if we promise we would never do that again. Thank you for being faithful when we're not. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.